But as you're seated, um, it is really a huge blessing to be here with you. I can't think of anywhere else I'd rather be than here with my family, both my wife and children and you, my brothers and sisters, my family. Um, I can't can't think of a better place to be. We're here celebrating the birth of our Savior. If you would, turn to John 1.1. John chapter 1. And as you're turning there, did you know that approximately every nine, sorry, two seconds, approximately every two seconds, somewhere in the world, nine babies are being born on average. Nine babies. Every, now, you, you, sometimes you might hear, well, every second, four and a half babies are born, but a half a baby can't be born. So I went with two seconds. <laughs> every two seconds, nine babies on average are being born. That's how we have arrived at, experts say, eight billion people living on this planet today. That is a lot of people. Out of all of the literally billions of people who have ever been born, why do we celebrate this one baby's birth over all of the other billions of babies? Now, we love it when babies are born. We celebrate all babies. But this one in particular, we celebrate every year and worship, even though he was born 2,000 years ago. Let's read John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Father, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for this time together. We pray that You would bless it, that You would convict, challenge, encourage And bless us for reading and studying together your word this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Those are some really compelling words about this word. Uh, This word in these verses. Look down to verse 14, if you would. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word that was with God, who was God, became flesh, dwelt among us. The Word of God uh, lived as a human being. And that human being was Jesus. And He came the same way that we came into the world, being born as a baby. Now we have the Christmas stories of Matthew and Luke that tell us everything that happened about Jesus when He was born, everything that we're supposed to know, not everything, but everything we're supposed to know when He was born as a human being, and we love those stories, and so often they take center stage this time of year as we celebrate His birth. But here in this Christmas story, we don't have the beginning of His coming to earth as a human being. Jesus is the Word who existed before there were any babies. He is the Word who existed even before there was a creation. Let's look at what we learn about Jesus as He existed before He was even born, not like us. It says, in the beginning. Now, what's supposed to happen in your mind immediately is you're supposed to think all the way back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, right? God already existed before there was a beginning because in the beginning, God started making things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what John says here is think all the way back to that point when God existed 
And then when he started creating um, time and light and darkness and, and planets and, and all of creation, that was the beginning. Think back to that point. In the beginning, he says, was the word. Now again, as we're thinking back to Genesis 1.1, we remember it says, in the beginning, God. And here he says, in the beginning, word. Now this is unexpected. This is supposed to be like when you hear somebody, you see somebody stand up and they put their hand over their heart and they say, I pledge allegiance to the, and you think in your mind, I already know what's coming, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. But you see somebody stand up, they put their hand over their heart and they say, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. And your mind goes, wait, what? (laughs) And that is a a pledge of allegiance, by the way, to to the Bible that people recite. But it's supposed, to, it's supposed to make you sit up and, and get your mind out of, oh, I already know what's coming, I can stop listening. Sit up and pay attention. In the beginning was the Word. So it catches us by surprise. It's supposed to grab our attention. In the beginning was halagos, the Word, the, the message, the speech. Any of those and some related words could be what this means. The context is going to determine what the word halagos means. Now, a lot of teachers or preachers that you've heard before get really philosophical with the word and it kind of just shoots way over everybody's head because they go all the way back to the classical Greek philosophers and, and wax poetic about all of that. But what does it mean here? In the biblical context, what is this word? Now, we're going to work through that. But there's already a, a peek into what this means in these verses. Whatever the word, the message, the speech is, it's eternal. And there's a relationship with God in some way because only God existed in the beginning before he started making everything, and his word is there with him. The word was with God. So the word is there, but there's some kind of distinction between God and his word. There's a a line somehow between them because if I'm alone in a room and there's no one else with me, I'm not with myself. I just am. I'm just here. I'm I'm alone by myself, right? It's not me, myself, and I. (laughs) It's just me. So someone else would have to be with me to be with me in the room. Either it exists or you don't. So the word is there with God. It's eternal like God is, but exists as God. And yet, the next phrase says, and the word was God. (laughs) even though the word existed eternally with God and was distinct from God, yet somehow this word was also at the same time God, identified as God. So God's message, his word, existed in eternity past along with God, yet as God in the beginning. And then so verse 2 summarizes, he was in the beginning with God. The same one that was at the beginning with God, as God, when God created everything, was, was there. He was, he was with God and as God at that point. So we think again about Genesis and what Genesis tells us. It says, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? Well, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be an expanse. God spoke, he said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And then as God was creating, he called the light day and the darkness, he called Night, God called the expanse heaven. So God spoke everything into existence in creation. It was by his word. Speaking was all it took. It was formless and void, and he brought form and filling it. It was only by his word. Hebrews 11.3 tells us, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the word. 
John 1.3 says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything, not one thing was made without him. So that's a short introduction to who Jesus is. In John's mind, let's not start when he was born. Let's start all the way back at the beginning and find out who this word is, this Jesus is. The rest of the Gospel of John goes on to show much more about Jesus, the one who was born as a baby 2,000 years ago, yet existed before there was time as the Word. And the reason that John tells us all of this is, John chapter 20, verse 31 says, these are written, this is all written, you need to know all of this because you, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's why he tells us all this. So Jesus came to earth, family, not to impress us by the things that he can do, not to give us a bunch of magic tricks, and not to, not to give us an example of how to be better people. No, Jesus came because God loved the world, so he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came, Matthew 1 says, to save his people from their sins. Now I ask you, how can a baby save you from your sins? And the answer to that is a baby cannot save you from your sins. A baby can't, a baby can't even feed himself, right? A baby can't even change herself. <laughs> the baby had to grow up into a fully grown adult, yet the baby and then the child and then the adult could never, not one time, sin, do anything or even think anything sinful, wrong against God. The baby had to be born without sin, and then as he grew, he had to continue without sin so that when it was time, he could take away our sins, suffer and die under the weight of God's punishment because of them for us, and then give us his perfect righteousness so that we can be made acceptable to God. That's why we're celebrating this baby who was born. That's what Jesus did when he came to save us, his people, from our sins. 2 Corinthians 5 explains it to us. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. So the baby Jesus was the beginning of the work that Jesus came to do. It was just the beginning of the earthly work that Jesus came to do. He had to be made one of us, Hebrews 2 says. He had to become just like us, a human being, born like us, live like us. That's why we celebrate this baby. But his birth was not his beginning. Jesus, as the Word, had no beginning. So as we celebrate Christmas, brothers and sisters, the birth of Jesus as a baby, we worship him because he was also God. And it's important, it's crucial that Jesus came as a human being to save human beings from their sin. It's crucial that he became fully human, born as humans are. It's also crucial that, like we said, that he grew up and that he was perfect, he, he remained sinless. But it's also so important, it's crucial for us to understand that his birth was not his beginning. You say, why do we have to know all of that? Because God says whoever believes in Jesus is saved, has eternal life. Well, to believe in him, you have to know who he is, right? If we're going to believe in him to have life, we, we can't just accept and believe in the baby Jesus, because that doesn't capture all he is. If I met you and said, hi, uh, when were you born and where were you born? 
oh, that's great, now I know everything I need to know about you. Would that be right (laughs) or fair? Not at all. Or if I was standing in the middle of a field and suddenly I saw a giant toe right in front of me, and I looked at the toe and said, my, what a big toe that is. (laughs) And I completely ignored the giant that it was attached to. I've not understood all that there is to know, and that's what we do with Jesus. If we just say, what a, what a great story that Jesus was born as a baby, we've only glimpsed just a small part of who he is. We've got to elevate our understanding of Jesus. Just, just let our minds go, because we can't make our minds as big as Jesus is. We can't make him as big as he is in our minds. So we have the Gospels that teach us about his life, his death, his resurrection, And here in John 1, we have some of the most important truths of Jesus as he came as a baby, the Word. He came as the Word. What what does that mean, that Jesus was and is the Word? Have you thought about that? I'd like us to consider for just a few minutes what it means that Jesus is the Word. How, How was he, how is he the Word? Well, let's talk about what God says about his Word. Because if what God says about his word is what will be true of the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's consider five truths about the word of God. And we'll, these will be brief. Uh, we won't be here until New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> these are going to be uh, brief. But five truths about the word of God that explains what it means that Jesus is the word. Number one, God says his word is eternal. He says his word is eternal. Isaiah 40. Isaiah is, is, is there and God's come, God comes to him. He says, a voice says, cry. So Isaiah says, what shall I cry? <laughs> Here's the message. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And surely the people are grass. We don't live forever, do we? We don't, we don't last very long here on this planet. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word is forever. Peter quotes that again in 1 Peter 1, and he expounds by saying the word is living and abiding. Psalm 119, 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled, it's fixed in the heavens. So even though we don't live that long here on this earth, God's word is always around. And so when Jesus is called the word, as we saw in John 1, it means he's eternal. Jesus says in John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he not only uses God's word there, but he says even before Abraham. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Abraham lives, lived 4,000 years before us today. Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. Jesus was born as a human being, but he's always existed. He's eternal. So in your notes there, so when Jesus is called the word, it means he's eternal, like God is eternal. Number two, God says his word is powerful. God says his word is powerful. In Ezekiel 12 God is speaking. He says, for I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak, and I really hope it will be performed. No, he doesn't say that. I misquoted it on purpose. I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. God's word is powerful. 
Isaiah 55 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, that's what water does. It comes down. It's beneficial. It's useful. It's a blessing. And and it does what it's supposed to do. God says, In the same way, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That means nothing stops God's word. Nothing can stop God's word. Now, we already saw in Genesis 1, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God's word is is immense power. It's unfathomable power in the word of God. And so Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I am working. You say, well, that sounds a little underwhelming. <laughs> but what he's saying there is God's been working from the beginning, and so have I been working right alongside with him, doing everything that God does. He said in John ten nine that he is the door to salvation, so that anyone who enters by him will be saved. Brothers and sisters, that's not something we can do. I can't save you. I can't save myself. But Jesus, by his power, is able to save anyone who enters by him. So he says in verse 18 of that same chapter that only by his authority and power can he lay down his life and take it up again. That's the power of Jesus. So in your notes, when Jesus is called the word, it means he is powerful, like God is powerful. Number three, God says his word is true. He says his word is true. Proverbs 30 says every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. God never says anything untrue. Not one time has he ever said anything untrue or not right or not accurate. He's never said anything wrong. He never even says anything that's weak or unsure. Like, well, maybe, you know, I hope this, maybe not, I don't know. No, every word of God is true. It's right, it's correct, it's accurate, and it's trustworthy. Psalm 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words. Psalm 18, 30 says, the word of the Lord proves true. Psalm 33, 4 says, for the word of the Lord is upright. The Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, we won't read every word in there, but this is just what it says about God's word in the synonyms that he uses. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Amen. And we didn't even look at what the effects are of, of each of those. We just looked at what God says about his word. And so John 1.14 says that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 25 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Because every word that came from Jesus, every word that he speaks and spoke is and was and will be true. John 8, 14 says, my testimony is true. Verse 16, Jesus says, my judgment is true. So in her notes here, when Jesus is called the word, it means he is true, like God is true. Every word and all of his words all together. Number four, God talking about his word, he says that his word creates. 
God says his word creates. Now, Genesis 1 describes, again, like we've, like we've said, the, the creation of everything. God said, God said, God said. When it was beginning, there was nothing, right? And, and, and the earth was formless and void. That means it was desolate. It, it was a desolate nothingness. It, it, was, it was empty, it was uninhabited, and it was uninhabitable until God spoke. God's word brought light and form and filling. Now, why, didn't he, why did he speak it? Why does God do it this way? I mean, couldn't he have just poofed it? Poof, and it's there, right? I mean, he could have done that. Why did he speak it into existence? I, this is what I believe. This is what I, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus taught us that what you say comes out of your heart, the innermost part of you, your very essence. What is in there begins and comes out of your mouth as words. What came out of God's character and his existence in creation was pure, good, orderly, God-glorifying creation. So when every part was created, when, when God looked at what he made, he said, that's good. And then when he was finished creating and he looked at the whole of it, he said, that's very good. Because everything that came out of his mouth started from within so that God's goodness came through his word into creation and made it all very good. His word brought it all about. As his word, Jesus created it all in goodness, the goodness of God. Colossians 1 teaches, for by this Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus is the word that creates, and he created all that was good. Hebrews 1 tells us that God spoke by many different ways, but now he's spoken to us by his son, through whom, this, this son, this word, he created the world. And this Jesus upholds the universe, how? By the word of his power. By the word of his power. Everything was made by him, by his voice, this Jesus, and is now held together by his voice, this word of God. So, in your notes, when Jesus is called the word, it means he creates. Like God, the creator creates. Jesus creates. The last one that we'll consider this morning, number five, God says his word reveals God. And we said that your words reveal who you are. They reveal what's inside of you, in your, in your heart. Well, Jeremiah 31, God is speaking about the, the new covenant that he's going to make with his people. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, uh, God says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. This is God speaking. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. See, it's when the law of God, the word of God is written on their hearts that they know God. And they know him so well they don't need anybody to teach him anything else about him because they know him. They know him because his word reveals who he is. 
The psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 10 says, with my whole heart I seek you, God. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He says, I want to know who God is, so keep me in your commandments. We cannot truly seek God apart from his commandments, his word. So the word of God reveals God to us so that we can know him and so that we can have our sins forgiven. We can't know God apart from his word. So in all of God's word, we learn about God, what kind of God he is, what kind of things he does. We learn all that we can possibly learn about God better than we can from anywhere else or from anyone else. It's more reliable, it's unchanging, it's eternal, it's powerful, it's true. As we've seen, we learn all that we can learn about God from his word. So, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, but to fulfill, to fulfill the entire word of God. He said in John 5, 39, all the scriptures that you search, that you read, that you study, they all bear witness about me, Jesus says. Jesus, as the word, reveals God. So much so that it says here in verse 14 of John 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word for tent or tabernacle. Like what Israel had in the Old Testament when they were wandering around through the wilderness, when they wanted to be with God, they went to the tabernacle. And that's what Jesus did. He tabernacled among us. He, he was here as Emmanuel, God with us. He was revealing God to us. It says here in, in just a few verses of John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So there's God, and then there's God at his side, yet still God, so that we have this two-in-one, that we, and, and later we learn the Spirit is along with the Son and the Father, so that there are three-in-one. But there's this God, and there's one at his side, and he has the one that's made him known. He's revealed God to us. That word made known is the word that we get the word exegesis from, explaining and interpreting and, and explaining so that we understand. Jesus interprets and explains who God is. In John 14, Philip says, okay, Jesus, you know, we've, we've been with you a while. If you'll just show us the Father, then we'll believe. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. Hebrews 1 says it like this. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance means the the brightness or the reflection of the glory of God. But Jesus doesn't do that because he's similar to God. Jesus is the exact imprint of his very essence or nature. See, there are ultimately only two kinds of natures or essences. There's God and there's creation. There's uncreated essence and nature, and then there's everything else created. And Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, the same as God, not of creation. So in your notes, when Jesus is called the Word, it means that he reveals God. He reveals God. Now, those are just five truths about God's Word that, that help us understand what it means when Jesus is called the Word. And there are many more, and there's so much more that we could say about each of them. But I have a question for you this morning, because Jesus is God, and he's the word of God, so that means there's nothing higher than Jesus. There's nothing more important than 
Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. In fact, we have a song that we sing um, throughout the year about that Jesus is better. <laughs> He's better than anything else, than everything else. And, and we sing that together. He's higher and better. The question is, is he higher and better than anything else to you? God says this in Deuteronomy 8, and Jesus repeats it in the New Testament. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's true of you, sir, ma'am, brother, sister, young one. You live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, but is it reality to you? Do you acknowledge and accept that, or do you try to struggle against that? Do you live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord? Do you live by the word made flesh, Jesus? Psalm 138.2 says that God is worthy of thanksgiving and praise and worship because of his name, steadfast love, faithfulness, because he's exalted above all things his name and his word. God has done that. He's exalted above everything else, his name and his word. God's done that. Have you done that? Is God's word exalted above everything? Have you received and believed the words of God and the word of God made flesh? Jeremiah gives a picture of receiving God's words. In Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah said, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Can you say that? Can you say that God's words are the joy and the delight of your heart? That Jesus, as the word made flesh, is the joy and the delight of your heart? He can be. He can be and he needs to be because Hosea 4, 6 explains the trouble when, when the word is not in our heart, when he's not our joy and our delight. Hosea 4, 6, God's speaking and he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. See, it's not just any knowledge. It's not just, you know, they, they needed to go back to school. <laughs> they needed the law of God the knowledge of who God is through his law, through his word, because judgment will come when we reject the knowledge of God, his word, the word made flesh. Jesus is going to return one day. We've, we've, we've talked about that already this morning. Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father. He, the word is with God again, and we have the word with us. But one day he's coming back, and Revelation 19 describes it for us. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So he has this name that, that nobody knows but him. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called, here's the name everybody does know. Here's the name that he is called by everyone else. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
That's who the word of God is, but he will, the, the one who has been made flesh, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one who's at the Father's side will return to judge. And if we have rejected God's word, the words that are on the page, the word that became flesh, he will reject us and we will fall under the wrath of God forever. But in Jesus Christ, if we receive him now, if we accept him as Savior and submit to him as Lord, he will save us from that wrath to come. We will be brought home to be with him forever in his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hear his words. Accept and receive God's words. There is an enemy. There is a spiritual enemy out there who will question all of his words. Just as he did with Eve and the garden in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Does it really mean this? God did really say. God says this about Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He speaks the words of God because he is God. Listen to his words. Here here are some of the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. That's what happens. That's what Jesus does for us when we believe his words. When we hear his words, Jesus says, I say these things that you may be saved in John 5. Listen to him today. Celebrate Christmas by believing his words, hearing his words and believing his words. One of the worst things that could ever happen to you is that you would stop hearing the words of God, the word about Jesus. It's happened before. In Amos chapter 8, there was a warning. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. He goes on to say they're going to look for it and look for it, but they're not going to be able to find it. It will be too late for them and how tragic that would be for us to have a famine of hearing the word of God. Don't let today pass. Don't leave today without hearing his words and responding to his words in repentance and faith, believing in this Savior, this Lord, this God. See, brothers and sisters, this is why we celebrate the birth of this one baby above the billions of others. More importantly, this is why we adore him and worship him. This is why we sing about him and sing to him all year long. The word of God became flesh. He came as a baby. He didn't stay a baby. He grew. He remained sinless. Born without sin, remained without sin. He saved us from our sin. Has he saved you from your sin? If he has, worship him today. Exalt him today. Lift up your eyes and your mind and your heart to him today. Elevate him. If he has not, because you've not believed, you've not repented, don't leave the greatest gift that you can receive on Christmas is the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. God, we worship you. We worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, thank you for today when we can come together, Lord, and we can fellowship together as brothers and sisters. And Lord, we can come around the table of the Lord and, and, and God, we can proclaim the death of our Savior, even, on, even as we celebrate his birth. Because God, he was born as your son who eternally existed 
that he was born as one of us to take our sins from us, to give us his perfection, his righteousness. God, that we can be made acceptable before you. Lord, we can't be good enough before you. We can't do it ourselves. But Lord, Jesus has already done it. Amen. Whoa. (laughs) Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your truth, your word, and how your word was made flesh. Father, that we can be saved. God, that we can be with you forever and we can proclaim the glories of your son and who you are. God, our three-in-one God, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We exalt the name of Jesus in his name. Amen.